Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, God said. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house, 
or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Dear Father, um, your name is so great, and your promises to us, even though undeserved, um, are true and good, and they are fulfilled in Christ, um, the one who uh, circumcises our hearts. He changes our hearts to chase after you and love your ways, um, even when we are a people that um, constantly runs from you. Uh, You made a promise to Abraham that you would make him into a great nation that would bless all nations through his offspring. Uh, And that offspring is Christ. Um, You set a people apart, uh, and now you call all people to you. So we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Eden. Is this is this good? I think so. Um, so yeah, um, I'm Avery, and uh, I'll be preaching today. I'm pretty excited. Um, I'm probably a little nervous, a little shaky. I was fairly confident last month that I wasn't going to be shaky. Uh, the goal was to well. So as I was practicing my sermon to my wife, uh, I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good. And then I start reading it, and I'm like. <sighs> started shaking. I'm like, I don't know if I could do this, but um, yeah. So uh, yeah, the nerves are here, and I was like, well, maybe it won't be a packed house. But then my mom on Facebook was like, hey, my son's preaching, and I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, so uh, but yeah, today I'm gonna go for the world's record for fastest sermon. Um, I think Ada and I hold the records from last time. I don't know, but 18. And Chuck wants me to get done before the Giants game, but I want to go past the Bears game so I don't have to watch it. Um, But, so, some of you may ask, how did you get this gig? Well, uh, I am in school of ministry with a lot of the guys and some women in the church, um, and we meet every two months or so, and uh, we learn a lot, and one of the things is being in ministry, and... uh, We had an opportunity to preach, but on that day, the sign-up sheets showed up. Um, Jason was teaching, and most of the day was like, this, this, that, and then um, we need to stop sending unqualified people up to the pulpit to preach this, that. Um, You should, uh, it's honoring, it's um, this, that, and then uh, he was like, anybody want to sign up? And we were like, ah. At which point, Josiah was like, I don't feel really qualified to do that, like the rest of us. But then Matt said that this is a perfect opportunity for us to grow into this church and uh, become preachers, maybe. Um, uh, Yeah, so I'm going to be preaching on what you guys know as the uh, Old Covenant. And uh, funny story, about a month ago, 
I looked at the chapter I was preaching, Genesis 17, and I don't know if you guys read that yet. Well, you guys just did. There's a lot, and it's on circumcision. <laughs> and so I went up to Matt about a month ago during a church lunch or something, and I was like, hey, you saw that chapter I'm preaching on, right? Or I was like, you sure you want me to preach? And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's why we're meeting uh, to, like the week before or something. And I was like, okay. Well, then the night before we met, I texted him. I was like, hey, uh, I'm confused on some stuff. I was like, uh, can I just wait till tomorrow and you can help me with it? And he was like, yeah. Well, then the next morning, Jonas and I ironically had breakfast at the same place Micah and Matt were having breakfast at. And Jonas was late, as usual, to everything. <laughs> but uh, Matt and I had some discussion. He was like, so I read the chapter I gave you. He was like, sorry. But, <laughs> all jokes aside, I'm here. It's fine. Um, but I've been reading chapter 17 of Genesis for a while now, right? Uh, freaking out time to time because there is a lot in this chapter, as you guys probably saw. Um, as I read and read, I was looking for ways to apply things here and there and trying to look for a main point. And let me tell you, I was stressing out. I'll tell you, if you were to give a pastor like John MacArthur, John Piper, uh, Tim Keller, Harold Gingrich, John Mormon, or Matt Gingrich, you guys made the cut, uh, they would destroy this sermon in a good way. When I saw the title of this chapter, I said, I'm going to destroy this in the bad way. <laughs> but, um, all jokes aside, as I was reading this passage, uh, I want to invite you guys to come see God's amazing works, truths, and faithfulness. This is jam-packed, full of that stuff, and I'm honored to be preaching about it. I want you to see that in Genesis 17, there are many people like us who sin, who doubt God. And I want you to see that there is no God like ours, because there isn't. There is no God who is higher than ours. There is only one true God, and he is faithful all the time. If you were to just read chapter 17 and try to get a main point, you may see that the biggest thing is that there is a sign from God given to this guy that represents him being separate from the rest of the world to show that they are God's people. Okay, But when you zoom out, I want you to know that there is a bigger story. When you look past chapter 17, there is more, which you should always do if you're reading Scripture. But there is a story that tells us about God's grace, mercy, and how we need a Savior. Because we cannot ever be good enough for God unless He sends His Son to die for us. And that's when we are finally good enough and we do not have to suffer His wrath. But I have good news. He did send his son to die for us, like he was promising in all of Genesis, so that we do not have to suffer his wrath for people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So my wish for you Christians this morning is that you would see his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy and be reminded that you are in his covenant that still goes on today, and I will explain why and how it's still going on today. But I want you to see that you were and are in need of a Savior. 
and to the people who are not believers in this room, to those who do not have their trust and faith in God, I want you to come and see that there is a God who did send his son to die for us, that if we put our faith and trust in him, that we can forever dwell with him. And I want you to see that you are in desperate need of a savior too. Saying all that, let's get into the verses. So in verse 1, if you would look at your Bibles, it says, when Abram was 99 years old. We need to stop right there and remember that Genesis is a historical narrative. The writer is giving a series of events that's happening, right? And so he says, Abram is 99 years old. So to get to this point, we need to go back and read not read, but we're going to look at the first couple chapters before this and then at the chapter after. And the chapters before this, in chapter 12, God makes Abram a promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation. In chapter 13, God says, I will give you many offspring. Again, in chapter 15, God says to your offspring, God says, to your offspring, I give this land, Right? Now, in chapter 16, Genesis notes that Abram is now 86 years old, and him and Sarai try to find a loophole in the system to use their Egyptian servant to finally bear Abram a child. Well, that didn't go well. God says that this son, Ishmael, that was born will be against everyone and everyone against him. So he is not the promised child. So now we're in chapter 17. And Genesis notes that Abram is 99 years old. 13 years later from chapter 16, no promised child. Right? That's something we cannot understand. It was a different culture and a different time. Jody and I the other day were watching a Netflix series on games that go on around the world, right? Now, there was this game where this African tribe, they would play it, and they would send the 14, 15-year-old boys into this ring with a raging bull, okay? Some of you might want to do that with your children. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the goal was um, the boys would grab onto the bull, and they would hang on as long as they can. Some of them would fall off, and actually a lot of them would fall off. But if you won the game... That means you held on to the bull the longest, and it calmed down. The bull just stopped moving. That means you tamed it. That was respect in the tribe, right? Well, this boy ended up winning, and the camera went to go interview him, right? And they're like, so, how do you feel? Like, what happened? Stuff like that. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, I hope my offspring play this game, and they win just like me. That's something that us Americans would probably not say if we were to interview, if we were to get interviewed after winning something like that, right? This is a different culture. And to them, in this present day, offspring represents money, um, respect around the tribe, right? This is a huge thing. And that's what you've got to see with Abram, right? He is 99 years old, and he does not have that promised child. Scary. Now, sometimes as a Christian, you know you need to trust in God and put your hope in him, but sometimes you forget or you doubt and you say, God, do you really have this? And we often do this because of selfish 
reasons. So see that with Abram right now. So let's get into verse 1 and 2. So when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So what's fascinating here is that God comes down and says what? I am God Almighty. Now the Hebrew for this name is El Shaddai, and which emphasizes God's power. It literally means, God Almighty literally means the strongest one. So when Abram appears, the first thing, so when God appears to Abram, the first thing he says is, I am powerful. I am the most powerful of all. So right now it seems like Abram is making God seem so small and he can't fulfill his promises and that he's been making. And then God shows up and says, I am not small at all, which I think should be an Old Testament Dr. Seuss book for their kids. I am not small at all. So, and then after he says, I am God Almighty, he says, walk before me. So, walk before me in that time meant to come face to face or to walk to, right? And then God says to be blameless. So, I am God Almighty, come see me face to face, walk to me, and then he commands him to be blameless, right? Now, blameless is to be complete, to be sound, to be perfect, okay? We also see this word used in the time of Noah. In chapter 6, God tells Noah to walk with him and be blameless. One thing I noticed was that Noah and Abraham messed up. They sinned, right? They got drunk. They lied. They weren't trusting in God. But yet God looks at them and says, you are perfect. You are blameless. Because I am God Almighty, and I say so. And then he says that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. So God gives Abram a reminder that he has a promise, and that's the same promise that they had, and it's going to happen. Verse 3, and then Abram falls on his face. Finally, a good response to the God Almighty. Many people think that Abraham falling on his face was a sign of submission as God commanded him to be blameless and to walk before him. It's almost like this whole promise thing isn't real until God shows up and says, I am God Almighty. This seems like a common trait in sinful humans. Like when we doubt God and his power and we don't trust in him and we forget about his goodness and when we start to walk away into sin... And we can't get out of it, and then all of a sudden, you feel his power. And you feel the weight of your own sin in front of the God Almighty, and you fall down before him. So when we go into 4 and 6, as Abram falls on his face, God says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Side note, funny comment. 
Jody and I were watching an Abraham Lincoln movie a couple of days ago, and the, I'm not kidding, the first scene of the movie was just this verse. I will make you into a great nation. That's Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States. That's not Abraham from the Bible. That's how you take the Bible out of context. So uh, I just thought that was funny. So what can we see in these verses? God again and again tells Abraham that I am going to make you into a great nation. When things are repeated in Scripture, we know that it is important, right? It's not like they had exclamation marks like on a text message that just confetti comes out. and it's When they repeat things, that is important. So God reminds him of his promise, even so much to change his name to Abraham, father of many nations. It's not Abram anymore, just father. It's father of many nations. So 7 and 8 explains that, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you and to the land of your sojourners, all of the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now we have God shouting to Abraham about this covenant, except this time God uses the word everlasting. A covenant is a, a conditional covenant is when the, there's a deal between two people, and it depends on one person holding up the bargain, right? Except this person that's holding up the bargain is God. So this is not your typical promise. If I tell my wife that I promise I will take the trash out today, that would be a conditional promise because I am human. And humans are faulty. And I will probably remember in three days. (laughs) And when I gave this sermon to my wife at this point, she finally said, Amen. (laughs) I'm not joking. But anyway, God, on the other hand, is God. He is not faulty. His promises are everlasting that last forever. So God will not forget to take out the trash. So he uses the word everlasting in fact, in this passage, twice the word everlasting is used. The second time is for an everlasting possession, which is the land of your sojourners, also is, in Hebrew, is a dwelling place. So I need you to remember the word everlasting. I will be their God. Our God can make everlasting promises, okay? Listen. Your God, the God of Abraham, is not temporary. His blessings to you Christians are not temporary. The grace and mercy and his goodness are not temporary. Our God is a God of everlasting. Christians, in the darkest places, I need you to know that he is not temporary. In your deepest, darkest part of your life, and you have turned away and started to walk away, and he is still there because he is not temporary temporary he is always with us that is why one of his names is Emmanuel God with us see Jesus gave his Holy Spirit to us before he departed 
No other religion has a God that close. Okay? No other religion has a God that close and personal like Jesus. The, the God of the Muslims is not personal. The God of Buddhism is not personal. The God of Hinduism is not personal like Jesus. The God of the family who has their faith and trust in Jesus in Iran, who are constantly hiding their Bibles, who are shunned from their friends and family, who are running away from authority, has the God of the universe by their side. He will always be there with them for an everlasting life. To you, Christian, I want you to know that he is with you. You have the Holy Spirit in you and will have him for an everlasting life. Now, if you're in this room and you are not a Christian, right now you're on the way into what Jesus says is a wide gate that leads to destruction, which is the scary part for you. And this is why I urge you to put your hope and trust in him, because the destruction, that, that's the wide gate that leads to destruction, is everlasting as well. Please hear that. There is no break in hell, okay? It is everlasting hell. Now, if you think you're in that boat and you do not have your hope and trust in Jesus, please come talk to me or one of us after this sermon because I, and I'm sure many people in this room, love you and would never want to see somebody endure everlasting destruction after death. But everlasting punishment is just. Like a serial killer who has murdered 10 people gets the death penalty, a person who has sinned and offended the God Almighty of the universe deserves the penalty as well, except there is everlasting sufficient amount of grace offered to those who trust and believe. That is great news. So let's get back into the verses. So we see, but God says that he will not only give Abraham offspring and a great nation, but God promises that he will be their God. That is huge because ultimately, John Piper says that for this group of people, that means salvation. And by this point, Abraham is now hearing that God is not just being with Abraham and his promised son and making him into a great nation, but he is their God and God will be their people. That is big. In verses 9 and 11, we read, God says, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of my covenant between me and you. So now we have a sign. A sign from God to the people of Israel that are to come, and that sign is circumcision. I do not need to explain what that is. Some may ask, why did God want the sign to be circumcision? Well, as I was watching a short YouTube clip of a sermon by Tim Keller, 
he asked the question, couldn't have God made the sign a tattoo or something? (laughs) But many believe that God chose something so bloody, so gross, and something that hurts to always show and remind us that sin is just like that. Sin is bloody, it is gross, and it hurts you. Also, John Piper suggests that the sign could have been circumcision because of the promise that God kept making. Offspring, offspring, offspring. Abraham will have offspring, and of course, this would come through this sexual organ. But we must remember that circumcision did not save Abraham and to those who follow. God found him to be righteous and blameless, which you will see later on in Romans. But verses 12 and 14 say that, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, and from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, here's a huge thing. There's a lot of theological concerns about being circumcised at eight days old. There is, there's none. I was just joking. There's no theological concerns. But yet again, you see that the, that the sign that will declare Abraham's offspring to be apart from the rest of the world is circumcision. And that sign means that their God is the God Almighty. So verses 15 through 21. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give, her a son by, give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to him, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear a child to you at this time next year. God, this time, is a little more descriptive with Abraham and saying, I'm giving you offspring. It's going to happen the way I say it is, and not the way that you think I'll do it, but my way. And notice that God uses the word everlasting only for the blessing of Isaac, not for the blessing of Ishmael. And I want you to see that there's no competition between Ishmael and the future child Isaac, right? 
It's just that Abraham now had a child for 13 years, Ishmael. And he has grown a 13-year-old bond with this son, Ishmael. And so he, just hear the desperation in his voice as he wants that son to be blessed like Isaac. But God says, no, not for the offspring that I'm promising. He will be blessed and he shall be a great nation, but not through my covenant. Now verses 22-27. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those who were born in the house were bought with his money, every male among them, among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh off their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, those bought with the money from a foreigner who were circumcised with him. Now, I want you to see that Abraham was 99 years old, and Ishmael was 13 years old. And with the technology that they would have had for circumcision, it was going to hurt a lot. That might be one of the points of circumcision. There is a penalty for sin, and it will always remind them of it. Now, some of you in this room may ask, did circumcision save the people in the Old Testament? Because as humans, we tend to always look at what saved them kind of things in the Bible. Like that new magazine that comes out for how to live longer. And you read it, and you find out that they're eating more spinach. So you start downing spinach in hopes that you would live longer. And the same way, our minds tend to do that frantic thinking on what saved them, like circumcision, baptism, communion, or even going to church. Well, none of that works, and it is only by the grace granted to us. So look at this passage with me that we're about to read on why circumcision was just a sign and did not save people. Romans chapter 4, 9 through 12. If you want to turn there. Romans chapter 4, 9 through 12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness that would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, 
but who also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Some of this is a shocker to some of us, that Abraham was not saved by works, that God found him to be righteous and to be blameless. So like we just read, and like I just said, that Abraham was not saved through works, but through faith. Why? Because God counted him as righteous and blameless, yet they sinned, he believed in God, because God found him to be blameless. God made him blameless. So Abraham was righteous in God's eyes. My next question is, do you have a circumcised heart? To be a sign of God's people in Genesis 17, and his people had to be circumcised in the flesh. To be a sign of God's people now, you must have a circumcised heart. Deuteronomy 10.16, God tells his people to circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of their hearts, so they shall no longer be stubborn. What does that mean? God's covenant was a covenant of grace and not works. So one may ask, what is a circumcised heart? Well, Tim Keller explains that a circumcised heart is when your pleasures and your duties are the same. When you enjoy the things you should do and ought to do for Christ and in Christ. That is what a circumcised heart is. Because when the Israelites were circumcised in the flesh of their foreskins, they still grumbled and they lacked and they lacked in trust even when God was present. So God says to circumcise your hearts, not just the flesh of your foreskin. So this is why you should have came this morning. Christians, you are in that promise that was made thousands of years ago. The promise of offspring was Christ's coming. That is why the covenant was talked about so much in this passage. It is very important. So when God made that promise, he was thinking of you. In Genesis 22:18, God says to Abraham, "And in your offspring shall be the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice." Now, did God fulfill the promise to Abraham? Yeah. He did. And that is great news. And because the promise was fulfilled, Jesus left his Holy Spirit for us Christians so that his Spirit would always be with us. And that was a sign that we were sealed with the covenant. For those who look at themselves and think they are on the way right now to the wide, everlasting gate of destruction. I pray that God would open your eyes and you would feel the weight of your sin. And I pray that once you would feel the weight of your sin, 
you would feel his presence and you would cry out to God Almighty and know that you are in need of a Savior. Now, Jody, my mom, and I went to a missions conference a little bit ago in Louisville, Kentucky, where this missionary got up and spoke. And he was a missionary in this tribe in Papua New Guinea for 13 years. And when they first got there, the tribe did not speak English. They had no idea about the gospel or the Bible. They, they had no clue about it. And so what this pastor did and his team, they looked for ways that they could connect with the tribe and present the Bible. So they started learning their language, and then they found out by living with them that they responded very well to plays and kind of like screenwriting. So their team figured, what if we do plays of the beginning of the Bible through the Old Testament into the New Testament? Maybe they will respond well with that. Well, they did. So they started doing plays, starting out with Adam and Eve. And he said that the tribe was listening and watching intently. And they explained that as Adam and Eve went to go take the apple, the tribe already knew that God said that was a no-no. And they said even one of the tribe members came out and grabbed Adam's arm and pulled him back because he was afraid of what was going to happen. But they were like, no, this has to happen. And so Adam grabs the apple, and from that point on, the tribe members knew that there was a problem. The king of the universe said not to do that. And what did they do? They did that. So they broke that, th that promise, right? And so they ultimately knew that there was a promise, too, that God was like, you have broken this promise I told you not to do. And so, therefore, you are in need of a Savior, but there will be one coming. So the tribe members were excited that there was one coming, except they did not know when. So they kept doing plays, and they would go from Abraham to Noah, and they were like, okay, this guy's building an ark. Is this the one coming to save us? And they were like, no, you got to wait. And then they would go to Moses, and they'd be like, finally, this is the one coming to save us. And they're like, nope. Well, they probably didn't know that the Old Testament is very long. <laughs> but as they kept going, the tribe members would get more and more excited and kept asking, is this the one coming? And they're like, you got to wait. And then Jesus comes, and they said, is this the one, pastor? And the pastor says, this is the one. And they were ecstatic. They celebrated because they knew that finally one came and that they were saved because of that. At which point their team explained that you have to put your faith and trust in this one that died for you to dwell with him in heaven. It took 13 years before their first person was baptized. And then that person was baptized, and he actually died a couple weeks later because of an illness. And the beauty of it was that the rest of the tribe came to the pastor and asked, is he in heaven? Is he finally in heaven? And he said, yes, this is the first member of the tribe to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I use that analogy and that story that that pastor gave so you guys would see and try to grasp that you are in that same position as those tribe members. That you should look at these stories and feel the fear that you need a Savior. There was a problem and that God was promising something, but here's the thing. You guys know that he came. He did come, and he died on the cross for your sins. So I pray that you, once you feel the weight of your sin, and know that you need a Savior like that, that you are set free from your sin, and you are let into an everlasting covenant with an everlasting peace, with an everlasting living hope. Because I promise it is there, and he, I promise there are things like that. When Jody and I lost our baby, um, we, sorry, he did promise those things. And what did we get? I promise you we got peace. And I promise you we had a living hope. And still to this day, I know people who struggle with the concept of my son dying, who still do not understand why. But I can point to them and say, because our God is good. And I promise some of the fruit of that situation is here this morning. Thanks to God's grace. And for the Christians who are stuck in sin right now, where it seems like there is no way out from lust, deceitfulness, and slander, I pray that you fall on your face like Abraham did before the God Almighty. Because he can do anything. Trust in him and put your hope in him. And please, I pray that you turn away from it. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? <clears throat> Holy Father, you are so good. And I thank you that we are able to see your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, and your Son foreshadowed in this chapter of Genesis, God. We thank you for that. And I pray that you would open eyes and hearts, God, as we read this morning, that they would see your glory and come to you, and that the Christians here today, God, would come out with hearts heavy with knowing about your goodness, grace, and mercy, God. That they would be uplifted. We love you, and amen. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.